Welcome to the third episode of the Wildlife Herb Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Dallas Ingram. And I'm Jess McGuire. And today we're going to talk a little bit about some management activities, uh, specifically prescribed fire. It's a hot topic. (laughs) We're going to start here now. (laughs) So there's a lot of different things that go on with fire. Um, Timing, scale. Safety. Safety. How to get help. Right. So we're going to kind of keep this one as a quick and easy overview. Uh, I'm sure there'll be some episodes in the future where we'll go a little more in detail on certain parts of it. But uh, I guess today we just start a little bit with why prescribed fire and when. Yeah, yeah this is, I, I've heard a lot of talk the start of the uh, fire season. It's like down here in the south, we don't really ever stop, yeah. you know, depending on goals. So why do you think, why are we calling it the start of the fire season now i guess historically we're moving into what we call growing season fire which a lot of those in the fire community call more natural season fires too because that's when you would have seen more of your lightning strikes uh, come into play and then the uh anthropogenic fires pre-settlement so the native americans setting fire for that's right getting getting the farming Getting ready for farming. That's right. Clearing out the woods. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that's the reason we say beginning of fire season. And two, because historically a lot of people were through hunting in the more recent years. And now they could get into the woods and light all that up. But again, like you said, getting ready for, for planting season or getting the woods ready for uh, grazing for livestock when that used to be a big That's thing. right. Yep, we're starting to burn for that right now. So we'll discuss growing season and dormant season. We'll just start with that is the difference. So dormant season, normally cool season growing. Uh, that's typically going to be more for fuel reduction yep. or what we call first entry burns. So when you've never burned a stand before or it's been a very long time since you've had a fire in a stand, that's usually a safer time frame uh, to get fire into those stands because of those cooler, hopefully, um, more humid conditions. Yeah, and you can kind of have more predictability, even though here in the south it gets a little too spicy some days still. Yeah. But uh, those ladder fuels, when you haven't burned for a while, you know, things are a little bit safer. The wind is a little bit more predictable um, sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. But Wind's never really predictable in our part of the, no. the state, but definitely more predictable and... Uh, People like those growing, se- or excuse me, dormant season burns uh, because of the cooler temperatures, too. It's safer for those who are out burning, a lot more comfortable anyway for those burning. You don't have to worry about overheating as quickly. And then uh, growing season, as we've already mentioned. So once things start to green up, which depending on where you are, that's going to change. Here where we're at, um, beginning to March, we really actually get into growing season. Some years a little bit earlier. And... That kind of changes how the fire behaves and what your results are going to be. Yeah, so it's important to know your region, know your soil type is super important. And, you know, talking to a fire, prescribed fire manager, an expert, to know what conditions you're creating and then know what outcome you're expecting to get from that time of year. Yeah. Yeah. So right now, you and I were talking about, you know, it's important to have patchy burns you know, I see a lot of black, just painting the whole thing black. 
right now. And that's fine. It depends on what your your goal is. Right. You know, right now around us, a lot of people are prepping for raking straw. But, you know, we the birds need a place to hide. So you need to leave some patchy spots for them. So we were talking about that earlier this time of year, how you're going to burn because you need to when you can, you know, to make it smaller scale, at least leave some habitat on the ground. Yeah, that small scale, again, helps that um, so that they have somewhere to go. All your all your wildlife have some sort of cover yeah. to protect them um, once you burn those areas until it greens back up. And the closer you burn to spring green up, then that's the quicker that area is going to respond. So that's less time that that's open and opening up uh, critters to predation. And also uh, burning at this time of the year, especially once you get a little more green up, a little bit later than now, once you start getting trees or getting buds put out, if you're trying to control hardwoods, that's the best time to do that burn. Because all the energies from that plant have come up in, or coming up into the, um, the stems above ground, into the leaves. And if you can kill that back, you get a better chance of killing those unwanted hardwoods or other trees and shrubs and uh, reduce the amount of herbicide use you probably have to use. Yeah, that's a good point. To get to get it while they're focusing all the resources into growing is a good time to, they're kind of vulnerable at that point. Yep. And uh, I guess kind of back up a little bit is, you know, why fire is important, especially here in the South. Um, most of our plant and animal communities evolved with natural fire. And as I mentioned, the, the Native Americans burned regularly. Uh, that was a huge part of uh, the fire and, and how these ecosystems evolved was the fires um, that they sat, set, excuse me, and that the uh, the lightning strikes. And so those plant and animal species evolved with that one to two year return interval on fire. And that is needed for them to produce seed or to maintain the ecosystem in the condition that is uh, most beneficial for those species. To your point about, you know, lightning strike and what it naturally used to be, think about a lightning strike hitting a tree. That fire would go away on its own. It would hit a natural break, wetlands, or, you know, some opening, some bare ground, which is why it's so important to make sure you have some bare ground out there because it kind of leaves those, makes that patchiness, which is really good for wildlife and for other plants too. But that's kind of what I try to get landowners to think about when either we don't get it completely black or, you know, we, they want it in a perfect block. It was never perfect, you know, and that was, that's the most effective fire. And it, that's what creates that heterogeneity on the ground of different plant species and different types of habitat just in small blocks. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to go back in and set all these little areas that didn't burn. Those areas are perfectly fine. And what you said about, you know, you're just burning until it ran into a, a natural barrier. Uh, one thing I recommend to people is don't put the fire breaks up around a stream or a wetland that you've got around that stand. It's not necessary. And you're creating a a hard edge that is not good habitat for most species by stopping that fire from going to them. It's going to stop on its own going into a hardwood stand or into you know a wetland of some sort, but it's going to create more of a, a mosaic, um, that transitional stages. It burns a little ways in, it feathers those edges. So 
don't worry about putting fire breaks. That's just a waste of time, and it's it's not really good, um, a good creation of habitat. It's terrible for soil quality, yeah. or water quality, rather. Both. <laughs> yeah, for both. You know, when you tear stuff up that you don't need to, and I think that's one of the hardest sells is getting people to understand and just have faith in those natural breaks that, you know, your soil composition changes, fire will not carry through that. There's different vegetation it won't carry through that. Yes, we want to be as careful as possible because we're in a litigious society, but you also want to make sure that if you're truly ecologically focused, that you use the resources that are already out there. Right, right. And we kind of touched a little bit on, on the frequency that was natural, that one to two year fire frequency. Uh, that's what we recommend for people to continue, especially with our growing seasons and the amount of rainfall that we normally have. If you go past a two-year fire frequency, um, it's really easy to lose your habitat and to get to a point where fire is not controlled, the vegetation growth is in there. One year, depending on where your soils are, maybe a little too much. If you've got really heavy, sandy soils, that may be way too much for you. You may need to push to a three. Yeah. Um, some of that's site-specific, but you really have to be careful when you go into a three-year burn return interval. Um, one sometimes uses up the fuel so much that you don't get a, a good carry of that fire and you don't kill much. Yeah, because, I mean, some of these bunch grasses aren't even used by wildlife until the second year. Exactly. So if that's what you need is that ground cover going season to season, you're wiping it out if you burn it every year. Yeah, exactly. So nesting cover for, say, bobwhite quail is, again, like you said, that second year growth. on Well, the first year is dead growth and then that second year for the structure. So, again, burning... Like you said, yeah. every year is not good for them. But I've seen lots of examples where you have landowners that are working really hard. They're going good for, you know, four, six years. And then, you know, if something happens or they think they kind of get comfortable and don't, oh, I can skip it this year. And then the next year they don't have the right conditions. And now we're in that four-year, five-year rough, and they are starting from scratch. Yes. They're looking at the herbicide again. They're looking at the mulching. And it's hard to watch yeah. <laughs> when, yeah. you know, which kind of leads us to later when we talk about how to get help yeah so uh like you were saying is be really careful um if you get into a situation where you didn't you normally burn in a dormant season which is like where most people do and you weren't able to do it because weather happens uh, this yeah. year's been one of those years where uh, once people start started getting ready to burn after deer season we got a lot of rain lots of rain lots of, lots of rain <laughs> lots of conditions that just weren't <clears throat> suitable for burning and so then everyone's trying to burn at one time, and you run out of time pretty quickly. That doesn't mean your burning is done for the year. That's right. So those are the years where you can push that growing season burns, um, be perfectly safe with it, and still get your burning so that you don't then run into that four years, three and four years of no burning. Right, and it doesn't hurt to mix it up either. You know, a lot of people, yes. oh, I only burn this time of year. Well, why do you do that? I don't know. That's just when we do it. You know, and it's like, well, since you didn't get that burn in when you normally do, let's try it. You're ready. Let's do it this other time of year and look at the effects. And, you know, some people end up liking it or yeah. they can go back and forth. There's there's more options than that five-day burn window than I think people give themselves. <laughs> exactly. I like to mix up and have both some dormant and growing season fire areas on the same landscape. Yep. Diversity is always key, and no matter what you're doing with wildlife management. So if you're starting to burn, you know, and it, you get into that comfort zone of 
doing at the same time every year and you miss your window, there's a lot of places that you can go for help to make sure you get that burn in. It might not be something you're used to doing, so you need to ask for help, and that's fine. There are a lot of people that are more than happy to come out for some pyrotherapy or offer assistance. So, Yeah, and we see a lot of new landowners who are afraid of fire. Uh, that hasn't been part of their culture for either a long time or ever. And it can be scary at first. So getting in touch with those professionals who can help you at really low cost and no cost at times, depending on um, what programs you get connected with. They can give you that confidence, um, help you, especially if it's um, an area that's not been burned before yeah. to get those fuels under control. Because then once you get onto a regular cycle, it's a whole lot easier uh, to burn safely and more controlled in the future. Yeah. We're seeing a lot of prescribed burn associations, uh, you know, come up. And that is a great thing to see because a lot of your PBAs, that's what we call it for short, um, a lot of your PBAs have professionals in the mix. So they might be volunteering. It might be part of their job. Um, but you also have experienced landowners in there that are willing to teach their neighbors how to burn and will even jump on burns together and that's something that's been really fun with some of the ones that have popped up around here is seeing landowners help each other because that's ultimately where we want to get with this is the point of a lot of these programs and PBAs is to empower the landowners to start burning again and you know like Golden Triangle RCND they have a burn trailer that you can rent well it's not very useful if you might tow it to your house and look at the contents of it and be like now what why do I even need a blower? What is that in here for? So those professionals can pair up and show you how to use those resources that are available on your own property. Yeah, and those PBAs and other organizations are also doing uh, learning burns. That's right. Yep. And so those are a great way to kind of step into that as well so that it's not a burn being done on your property. You go out and see how it's being done, uh, get to know some of these professionals uh, and other landowners find out where the PBAs are in your area and they can kind of get you a little more comfortable with, with starting that process yourself. And then also make sure that you look into some of the um, prescribed bird training programs that are out there through like Georgia Forestry Commission and get that education on all the details of how far yeah. somebody a little yeah. more than what you may need. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of forestry commissions are offering some great trainings out there to even burn manager trainings and extensions are getting involved right. with it a lot now and there are a lot of other ngos that are out there stepping in and partnering up with people so there are there's a lot of opportunity in many states and you know they're also offering some um reciprocity did i say that right yeah <laughs> i hate that word um to other states so you can go the laws are similar the liability is similar so they're now cross-training across state lines, which if, you're, if your property is in one state, you live in another, you know, it might be more convenient to get trained in one state. Yeah. And, and we have, you know, landowners who are split lines. So mm -hmm. they are on the line of two different states. So yep. um, that, I can't even See, say now, you, now you can't say it because I, I called us out on it. That's yep. right. Reciprocity. Thank you. Uh, between states is important, especially in those conditions. That's everybody's SAT word today. That is. Don't ask me to spell it. <laughs> There's a lot of resources, too. Even though prescribed fire is probably one of the cheapest 
management tools we have, it does still have a cost to it, especially the main cost a lot of times comes into putting fire breaks in in the first place. Yep. And so there are different cost share programs that are available to uh, landowners to help offset those costs as well. So reach out to um, a forestry or wildlife professional uh, in your area and let them help direct you into those programs, uh, into those learn and burn events, PBAs, whatever those resources are to get that fire on the ground because it is very critical for us to um, to burn our these lands, these forests, even prairie and openings uh, to maintain habitat for wildlife. Yeah, and we'll link some of those resources on our Facebook page as well. Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned uh, one other thing that I guess to kind of tee it up for a future episode is uh, some of the liability. Yeah. So there's lots of different liability issues that people are concerned with, and uh, we'll have a discussion about some of that and how all that works in the future. But smoke liability is a big one. And smoke management is always on people's minds when they are burning. Those at least who have done it enough that realize that that can be a, a big problem. And one of the negatives that public sees when they see fires is That's the right. smoke. So trying to manage that so that it's not quite as much of a negative to the public, but also not causing issues with um, air quality and a lot of other things that are coming to the forefront now. That's right, because if we want to keep it as a tool in our toolbox, we are going to have to educate more on smoke management and what's going on policy-wise with smoke. It's a big deal right now. EPA guidelines just changed. So, but yeah, we'll discuss that at a later time, maybe bring in some guests. Yes, we'll get an expert on yep. some of this and, and some of the resources that you can use as well. All right, so this was kind of a really quick overview. Um, we're going to try and do different uh, management overviews each month on different topics and keep them really short and sweet. Yes, that's how we roll. That's right. We do would like to have some of your feedback and uh, let us know if you appreciate any of these topics. How have you think requests. Are going. That's right. Any requests. Right. <laughs> we're improving hopefully our sound quality and some other things as we move forward as we learn this this new tool it's a very fancy setup oh yeah we're getting fancy now yeah <laughs> yeah throw pictures out so you can see yeah so it, fancy if <laughs> well i took some today right. for once right so if you do if you are listening and you want to send us a message on facebook we will get a sticker sent your way we just hot off the press right. wildlife her stickers so you can search uh, for the podcast in Facebook. That's right. I guess, uh, as always, uh, like, subscribe on whatever podcast format that you're listening on, and we appreciate and hope to see you next time. Thank you. This podcast was a mess. <laughs> <laughs>